welcome to the Acupuncture Outsider podcast. My name is Richard Hazel, and in the time it takes for you to commute to or from work, I hope to have shared something of interest about orthopedic acupuncture using motor points, trigger points, myofascial slings, uh, neurofunctional acupuncture, segmental treatments, anything that crosses my mind that seems to be of interest. I hope you'll enjoy it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Acupuncture Outsider. This is Richard Hazel. Um, I apologize for the disruption in my weekly recording. I had some, um, let's just say, sort of scary health situation going on that, I mean, I was projecting and making it worse. Um, but uh, after testing, I'm all clear, I'm good, but uh, just had a scary period and I just wasn't feeling focused enough to um, record anything that felt like it was of any value to anyone. Um, but I'm back and feeling better and um, emotionally and energy-wise feeling better. So today, I want to talk about a dry needling technique that I sort of take for granted at this point, but I think it's worth talking about for people who might be new to dry needling. Um, and I just come, I'm coming off of teaching some dry needling in Sydney, Australia. And if you guys are following me on Podia, you've probably seen the, I just finished um, uh, indexing all of the videos for, for the content so it's easy to find where, where everything is and um, put it on online for people to see. It's a four days of recording. Um, many, many hours, uh, some lecture and, and a lot of demos. Um, so anyway, if you're, if you're a fan of the Podia stuff, it's on there. Um, but I did a lot of dry needling and, and so I, and I was just recently thinking about something, um, that helped somebody. And then I was thinking, you know, I don't think I've actually discussed dry needling for function more than when I talked about dry needling of the lats um, because the lats can definitely get short and cause dysfunction without causing pain directly, like without being a latissimus dorsi pain. The internal rotation that it puts on the shoulder can cause some shoulder pain on abduction and flexion, but, um, but typically while the dysfunction is coming from a short lat, um, you don't feel pain in the lat. Um, per se, maybe just in the tendon at the front of the humerus. So on that note, um, I wanted to talk about a dry needling technique that I really like to use for function, even when there aren't noticeable um, ropey taut bands that need to be released. And though the situations that I'm thinking of are things like the quadratus lumborum, the medial deltoid, and the TFL. So let's talk about those. Let's talk about QL first. Um, when somebody's had chronic low back pain, 
probably a tight psoas that the QL is constantly fighting against to maintain stability in the lumbar spine because you know when the when the psoas is short it's pulling the front of the lumbar spine and increasing the lumbar lordosis and the QL has the ability to tighten to fight against that anterior shear force coming from the front at the psoas so then the QL can guard against that anterior shear by tightening. So um, so when you're working with somebody and you've released the psoas and you've released the spinal erectors and you've worked with the glutes and you're getting them into a much better mobility, you sometimes will find that the QL just isn't fully releasing by using motor points, but they may not even have a lot of low back pain they'll just say that they feel a lot of stiffness that they've had for a long time so in that case i usually do some dry needling on the ql just right in the i want to say middle um, if you if the patient is prone and you are palpating the ql you all the way to the top, you feel the lower rib, you feel that 12th rib, and then you palpate all the way down to the top of the pelvis, the iliac crest of the pelvis. You have palpated the whole QL. There's nothing there causing them pain, but you can feel the density of the QL and that it's tighter than it really should be as a healthy, flexible muscle. So what I want to do in that situation is find the midway point, um, midway between the 12th rib and the iliac crest. And when I push down with my thumb, I'm standing on the opposite side of the patient that I'm going to treat. So if I'm treating the right QL, I'm standing on the left side of the, the patient on the other side of the table. And I'm reaching across and I'm putting my passive thumb on the QL. And in this, in most cases, I'm going to needle with my right hand. So I'll put my left thumb on the QL midway between the 12th rib and the iliac crest. And I push down and I'm feeling for the lateral border of the spinal erectors. And this, this would be a very good location for a motor point if we were to insert a needle perpendicularly. But in this case, we want to do what I consider like a skimming technique through the, the fibers of the QL. And I'm not targeting a specific trigger point. It's just tight. So I like that midway point because it's, it's got some motor points in there that are going to help me with some contractions. And, and also the skimming technique that goes from lateral to medial um, with a, usually with a 75 millimeter 30 gauge needle. Um, I'm going to skim through the QL and get some good fasciculations that will loosen it up. So I'm not targeting a, an active trigger point. I may not even feel taut bands. It just feels as one muscle too tight. It's just firm and inflexible. And doing this skimming technique through the QL can get some really good release of that tension 
um, to get to give it more function, to give it the function that it needs. To, because um, when it's that tight, it's actually weak. It's actually unable to fight um, that sheer force from the tight psoas. So if the psoas starts to get tight again, this QL is going to be too weak to fight against the shear. So there's going to be increased lordosis, more pressure on lumbar um, discs, um, and also uh, anterior pelvic tilt, and more low back pain, more dysfunction, more dysfunctional movement. So, um, so if there's anybody out there who's thinking, oh, well, what if I release the tight QL that fights against the tight psoas and and now, now it's not able to do that because it's not tight anymore. You're, you're, you're making some weird assumptions about um, what a tight muscle is actually doing. A tight muscle is not a stabilizer. The, the muscle got tight because it's trying to stabilize, but once it's lost its elasticity, it's lost its potential for work. So it's actually weak. A tight muscle is actually a weak muscle. So you're absolutely not going to cause more trouble by releasing the QL if you're concerned that someone has a tight psoas. You're giving the QL the elasticity it needs to have potential energy and contract to do the work of fighting against that anterior shear. So you're definitely, you're, you're not causing a trouble. If, like if you don't know how to release someone's psoas with the motor point below the inguinal ligament, then and you're concerned that now you shouldn't release the QL because you know that it's it's going to be fighting, that it's already fighting against this tight psoas, you are not going to cause more trouble by releasing the QL. So you're going to help. You're going to restore function. You're going to help lateral stabilization. You're going to take uh, pressure off of the off of the lobar, lobar, lumbar, sorry, the lumbar area. Um, you're going to have better stabilization. The person's going to have better stabilization. They'll have less achiness when they're standing and sitting, if that's one of the things that you're trying to address. And they'll have better flexibility. So, you know, everybody likes to be able to, you know, bend over and pick up their keys without groaning. So, um, so that's a QL one. Then there's one that I find a lot, um, especially after some sort of shoulder surgery, like maybe a rotator cuff repair or some sort of labral issue, post-surgical tension in the medial deltoid. This is so common. You know, I could come up with some other theories why it's tight. It could have been that way before the surgery. And if the patient's new to me and I didn't see them before the surgery, I can't say for sure if it got super tight because it was working harder to compensate for some sort of supraspinatus tendon issue. But but the medial deltoid is very prone to getting very tight. And some dry needling cross fiber through the medial deltoid just to treat that tension can be really effective. So you're not... In that case, you're not you're not palpating for active deltoid trigger points, which is you know one of the things that I think everyone should know how to do who's treating shoulder pain because very common issue someone's going to have and and I think it stumps a lot of people because they they've 
They've treated the rotator cuff. They've treated the deltoid motor points and, and they've, you know, done assessment and they can't figure out why does this deltoid, why does this shoulder, I'm sorry, why does this shoulder still hurt when uh, doing manual muscle testing or just raising their arm? And very often it's these trigger point, active trigger points, the deltoids. And if you're palpating them from the joint near the acromion all the way down through the deltoid, you can find these active trigger points and release them. But that's not what I'm talking about right now. Um, so, so sorry, I got like completely sidetracked. Um, the, the medial deltoid gets super tight after a surgery and it may not have active trigger points, but you want to treat the tension in the medial deltoid because it will inhibit overhead reach. So somebody raising their arm up in front of them for like shoulder flexion all the way up to 180 degrees, they will have restriction from tight medial deltoid. So even if you've done an excellent job working on the rotator cuff and you've done motor points for the deltoids and you've got the lats released and you've got the teres major released and you've got the pecs released, you don't have anything else that should be inhibiting overhead reach. You've, you've worked on serratus anterior, you've done everything you can think of and they still have some sort of restriction and they just put their hand on their medial deltoid and you can't find any really real like active trigger points. This is a good chance where if you palpate the medial deltoid and it just feels tough, it feels harder than it should, it feels a little bit like beef jerky. You, this is a classic example of where you want to do this skimming technique um, dry needling. Okay, so you don't have to find a specific ropey area of the deltoid. You just need to cross fiber through the middle belly of the, of the medial deltoid head and get some really good twitches, hopefully three, four, five good twitches, and then come back and feel it. It'll feel supple, and this is not really a painful experience for the patient. It, you know, they have the normal surprise from feeling big twitches, but it's not a painful uh, technique, but I would still recommend using a 30 gauge needle, probably 50 millimeter in length. And you're going to cross fiber through that mid middle head of the deltoids. And then they'll be able to raise their arm up over their head with, with zero resistance. It's, such a great technique for something like that. And you'll find it pretty often. Like I say, usually it's post-surgery when I've seen this, but it may not be post-surgically. I mean, uh, I can think of other people that I've seen where they didn't have surgery and they had this firmness to their medial deltoid that, that made me want to do this cross fiber skimming through the muscle, um, uh, that wasn't targeting, you know, active, uh, painful trigger points. So it's a myofascial release technique, um, using, a, using dry needling. And then the, the, th the third one that comes to mind is the TFL. The TFL is also prone to this sort of firmness that is not necessarily, 
releasing with motor points, with motor point stimulation, you'll get some release, you'll get some elasticity back, but it'll still have this firm sense to it. And you, you may even dig around trying to find the active trigger points or even find really tight ropey bands that you want to release in the TFL. And sometimes you just won't find them, but you'll still push on the TFL with someone sidelining and you'll feel this density. Um, perfect candidate for this skimming technique using a 30 gauge needle. Sometimes I'll use a 50 millimeter. Sometimes I'll use a 75 millimeter. It might just come down to what, what, I'm, what I have in my hand. But both will work. And you just want to be, you know, have the patient on their side and, and feel the TFL for the, that density that I'm talking about. And then visualize the fibers of that TFL, how they kind of run almost, um, uh, what do I want to say? They, they run uh, like top to bottom from like, you know, uh, iliac crest down toward, toward the hip, uh, hip joint. And you can kind of imagine the, where the fibers are. And then you want to go cross fiber um, through the TFL. And you can go with the fibers too sometimes. But I just feel like this one particular technique is an example of when I do want to go cross fiber. I, I usually, for active trigger points, I like to stay in the active trigger point, And I often am needling with the fibers of the top band to avoid extra tissue damage on both sides of the active trigger point. But in this case, as a myofascial release, I love cross fiber because you just sort of skim, not at a deep level, through the cross fiber, uh, through the TFL, and you start getting these really great twitches that release tension. And I'm not saying I wouldn't end up going a little deeper maybe in a future session, but the first time I do it, it's usually that superficial level um, where I get some really great release of the TFL. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of this sort of skimming technique, cross fiber, uh, dry needling for myofascial restrictions. Um, it's just something that I've noticed over time uh, I have, I don't know if I've heard people talk about it, but if you're, if you're good with your hands, if you can put your hands on somebody and know this muscle is tight, then you're going to, you're going to, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. So people who have been working manually with people in pain where you're actually pushing on muscles, palpating muscles, palpating trigger points, it's second nature to you. You can put your hands on your patient and tell them what's tight and what might be even painful based on just what your fingers feel. So if that's you, you know what I'm talking about. You felt this density of muscle and you may have used um, motor point acupuncture and then maybe even some soft tissue manipulation grassin type thing like an iastm uh, tool or gua sha or whatever you want to call it 
you may have done that and you may have said, well, okay, it was a little bit effective, but that, that person still has this density in their muscles. This is the candidate for this sort of dry needling, uh, skimming technique that, that I'm using, that I use, um, highly recommend you try it and see if it doesn't give you, um, really good results on releasing those muscles. Um, there are certainly other muscles that I'm just not thinking of where I'll, will have done this sort of technique, maybe even the gastrocnemius. I'm thinking of one patient that I used to see regularly. He had horrible dorsiflexion and he worked out a lot. And, um, at some point, you know, I needed to just sort of do the skimming technique through his gastrocnemius uh, muscles just to get the density of his calves to something that felt more supple and normal. Um, I think I ended up doing that with his tibialis anterior as well, very skimming, sort of superficial level um, cross fiber. So um, just putting it out there, it's one of those things that like I kind of take for granted because I kind of sort of started doing it over time and didn't really give it a name or didn't really think much of it, um, just sort of did what was effective. Um, but now that I'm starting to teach more dry needling, um, it's time for me to start really analyzing more the techniques that I've developed and, and, and give them uh, a name so I can explain it to people. So, um, I don't know if anyone else has a name for this, but I call it skimming. That's like, because it's not a deep level thing. It's it's not um, deep, deep in the muscle. It's um, pretty superficial and cross fiber. Okay, so that is the episode for this week. And um, happy Easter and Chag Pesach Sameach if you celebrate Passover. Um, and... Um, I don't know the well-wishing for Ramadan, but uh, whatever you observe, I hope you're having a great one, and I will talk to you soon.